We are in Acts chapter 17, and uh, I'll tell you right now, if you look at your notes and think, wow, this is the same as last time. No, I just forgot to change the title. It happens. So actually, the correct title is Evangelism for Everyone. Uh, A prison break was supposed to be deleted, and apparently I didn't do that very well. So I'll work on that. I'll work on that. So we are in Acts chapter 17. We're, we're moving along. We're going to do the entire chapter in one day. And, and some, we're moving a little bit faster because some things are repetitive. And I, and I want to kind of get the big picture. Why, why is this written to us? Why are we supposed to read this? And today, the best approach for Acts chapter 17 is to look at it in sections. Uh, 1 through 9 is Thessalonica. 10 through 15 is Berea. And then after that is Athens. And, and we can notice things about even how it's laid out. Thessalonica is nine verses. Berea is only six verses. And then the whole rest of the chapter is about Athens. And, and that tells us that in Athens we're going we're gonna to see something new. So it gets a little bit more explanation. But what I want to do is I want to read each section and then talk about that section. And then we'll draw some conclusions and make some applications. So let's read Acts 17, 1 through 9 to get us started. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there there was a Jewish synagogue. And remember, a synagogue is a Jewish religious gathering place. They have to have ten Jewish men present in a city in order to have this meeting place. So remember in uh, Philippi, they didn't have enough people for a synagogue, and so they gathered at the river to pray. Thessalonica has a synagogue, and and that's going to be Paul's thing for a while, going to the synagogues. Verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's, Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, The crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Okay, so that's that's what happened in Thessalonica. That's the account of that city. Let's look at our notes and see what we can draw from this. Well, number one, I want you to notice that Paul preached to them for three weeks. Preached in the synagogue on three Sabbaths. So he preached for three weeks, probably had several interactions in between. But I just want you to notice that he didn't do the same in every city. In, in, in Philippi, he was not there that long. Here he preached for three weeks, and then a series of events took place. 
So there's a different investment depending on the city, depending on who's there, depending on the reception. And that's, that's worth noting because we're going to get different receptions and we're going to run into different people in, in different cities and different places. Number two, notice the language of verse four. I'll, I'll read it to you again. It says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So we identified three groups of people. We have some Jews, and the word some tells us not that many. So uh, not that many Jews, but some. A few Jews, uh, they believed and joined Paul and Silas. And, and then it says a, a large number of Greeks. So we have some and a large number. So as Paul preached in the synagogues, more God-fearers or non-Jews that had identified God as the true God but weren't becoming Jews, more Greeks responded to the message than did Jews. That's a little bit surprising because the Jews have had the Old Testament they were more present than the Greeks were for Jesus' life. They could, they could examine the scriptures easier to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was accurate. So they should have been the first ones to say, wow, this is great. This is great news. We didn't know this. Thank you for sharing. They should have been the first ones. But only a few of them responded. But the Greeks, the God-fearers, who had been searching for the true God and had narrowed it down to the Jewish God, when they heard about Jesus being the Messiah, about how he needed to die and, and raise from the dead and all that, they responded. Many of them responded. A large number responded. And then there's a third group, which is really interesting. It says quite a few prominent women believed. Now, I don't know if quite a few is more than a large number. I think it's probably not quite as big as a large number, but they're a very specific group of people. So we have the Jews, which was almost everybody in the synagogue. We have the Greeks, which were the God-fearers. And then we have quite a few prominent women. Now these women might have been Jews and they, they might have been Greeks. They probably could have been a, a mixture of both. If they were prominent Jewish women, they probably were widows whose husband died and left them some significant sums of money or property or something like that. So they, they held a position of influence or power because of their finances. If they were Greek, they could have been the same situation, or it could have been that they were just women that, that didn't stand quietly at home or behind their husband, but they, they spoke out and they were influencers. Both would have been a little bit odd to the society, and, and therefore, that's what gave them an identity. They were prominent women. They were influencers in the town. They held positions of influence. They probably had a, a little bit of wealth to their name. And it says a lot of them were believing. So at the synagogue, among the Greeks and among the Jews were these women. And, and Luke basically tells us that, yes, yeah, some of the Jews believed, and a large number of Greeks believed, but the most surprising thing was this fairly significant group of women that believed. In that culture, it was more likely that the women would follow the men. A husband or a father would believe first and women would follow. It was also, in the culture, especially on the Roman side of things, expected that the women would follow the men wherever they went, 
however they believe. So it's a unique group of people. And what I want to point out, and, and one of the reasons I think Luke points it out, is what's next in your notes. Well, let's fill in these, these three blanks. Some Jews would be religious people in a good moral system. That's how we would relate to them today. The religious people in a good moral system. They were good people. They didn't do a lot of bad things. They didn't have a lot of bad habits. They would, they would stand out. They would be seen as religious. They were religious. They were good people. Um, in our society, we have religious people that often do not respond to the gospel. Maybe they're in a cult. Maybe they're in a system of false teaching, which we've talked about on various occasions, but they're still religious. They're, they're trying to earn their way to God. And that's what a lot of these Jews were before they responded. The Greeks, and, and we, would, we would kind of describe them today as religious people seeking any and all gods they could find, but who, are, who have discovered God is the one true God. So we have people come to church who are just looking to find God. They, they, they realize they need God in their life. They, they need some instructions. So they say to themselves, we should go to church. Sometimes they literally have a conversation. What church should we go to? I don't know. How about that one down the road there with the steeple? Okay, we'll try that one. And they show up and they listen and they hear and they go home and they talk about it. Maybe they respond, maybe they don't, but they're seeking, they're seeking after God. So there's religious people who probably aren't interested in talking about Jesus. There's people who consider themselves religious, who are looking for someone to worship, something to belong to. And then perhaps the prominent women today would be people who are willing to, to buck the system a little bit and think for themselves. They're, they're not just going to go along with what everybody says. They're going to question culture. They're going to question society. They're also going to question the church. They're going to question the pastor. They're going to they're going to need to be convinced. They're going to need to be shown. They're going to have to be sure. So they're they're not for or against. They're just going to say, "Show me, uh, convince me." And and we have all these people today. They had all these people then. And the reason I think this is here is the next statement. Sometimes it's the least expected groups who respond with the most enthusiasm. Of these groups in that culture, in that day, the prominent women would not be the group you targeted. You would not go into town and say, I think a good strategy would be to talk to the women because the women will change society. That would not be the strategy. But in going to the synagogue and preaching, they found that a number of these women, these prominent women, were responding to the gospel. It's also a little bit backwards that, that more Greeks responded than Jews. That would be the opposite. And, and we just need to realize that sometimes we can't look at a group of people, we can't look at a family, we can't look at an individual and discern on our own if they're ready to hear the gospel. We can't discern if they're interested in Christ. We can't make up our mind about them making up their mind. It's really easy sometimes to look at someone and go, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. Because of the way they look, because of the way they talk, the language they use, uh, the part of town they grew up in, the school they went to, what they do for a career. We can make those assumptions. We can do that. And we, we often do do it, not even realizing we're doing it. But I think one of the points here is that we need to share the gospel with all these people. 
I know sometimes we think kids are too young and, and old people are too set in their ways. I, I, I have heard, I haven't confirmed, but what I heard is pretty com- confirming that one of the very old people in our community that this last week or two accepted Christ as their Savior. Exactly a member of the group that we would write off and go, well, it's probably too late. Accepted Christ as their Savior. The, the Iwana kids, oh, they're too young. The old people, they're too old. Um, this person's that. This person's this. They're, they're not going to fit in. They're not going to understand. They, their motives are wrong. We can't make those decisions. Okay? We can't make those decisions. I, I'm, I'm going to get to this point. I'll just start now. I'll just kind of say it. Our job is to share the gospel with everybody. Our job is to share the gospel with anybody. Anybody that God puts in our path. Where God opens that door up. Where they ask a question. Where God puts it on your heart. You need to have this conversation. We, we need to share the gospel with them in order to be obedient to Christ. In order to be a part of His plan. Because God and God alone knows where their heart is. God may be looking at them going, this is the moment in time when they are ready to respond to the gospel. And I'm going to send so-and-so to tell them. And if you're so-and-so and you don't go, you're going to miss that opportunity. He's going to have to send somebody else. So we need to be open for that. Not just everybody, but anybody. The next thing from Thessalonica I want you to see, it, it just jumped off the page as so relevant for today. One tactic long used by Satan, because he used it then and he's still using it now, is to gather up bad characters. I love that phrase, bad characters. I don't know what we call them, hoodlums, troublemakers, uh, people with nothing better to do. They gathered up bad characters to bring a political, social, and physical attack against anyone who's doing the work of God. Paul and Silas are doing the work of God. The Jews who didn't want to hear the message literally went and recruited people of bad character to do what? To form a mob and start a riot. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard of this lately? Gather people together, get them riled up, form a mob, start a riot. Why? Because we want to cause trouble. Why? Because when trouble has been caused, we're going to blame them. This is happening because of them. If they would stop doing what they're doing, this would no longer happen. And so they stirred up this mob. They caused a riot. They went to, um, what was the name? They went to Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas. When they didn't find him, rather than die down, quit, go home, they said, all right, we can't have Paul and Silas. We'll take Jason and everyone else here. They ran him before the magistrates. What was their crime? Uh, they're talking about Jesus, and we don't like it. And then everyone got excited, and, and they said, Well, we don't know what to do with you, so you have to pay a fine post-bail, and then you can leave. And we'll think about it in, after you're gone. That's basically what happened. And, and the whole point of the mob was to make enough people uncomfortable that they would conclude we need to stop the Christians. We need to stop Paul and Silas. We need to stop the Christians because... It's their fault that things aren't going my way. And since I want things to go my way, I'm going to cause a stink, and I'm going to point the finger at them, and we're going to take care of this. 
So they started a riot. They rushed Jason's house. They arrested and fined Jason, basically causing trouble so they could blame somebody else. That's Thessalonica. That's what happened at Thessalonica. The book of Thessalonians is later a book written to this church. So a church was established. It grew. Uh, Paul wrote letters to it. But that's what we have here. Let's look at Berea now. Uh, Acts 17.10. It says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, back to where the Jews gathered. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So we have Berea. We actually have very little information about what happened in Berea, but what we do have centers around the Berean Jews. Okay, so to the notes, this time, okay, as, as opposed to Thessalonica, this time the Jews in the synagogue received the message with great enthusiasm. This time it's the Jews. This time the group you would expect to respond did respond. They, they heard about Jesus the Messiah and they went, wow, this is great. This is who we've been looking for. I can't believe we missed it. Thank you for explaining it to us. We want to believe. We want to join. How do we worship this Christ? And every time Paul and Silas taught, they went to their scriptures and they looked at the scriptures to make sure they were telling them the right thing. And when they found it, they were even more enthusiastic. So this time the Jewish people are the main group who follow, who, who become saved. Number two, they examine the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And then number three, this time, we have the many Jews. Then there is a number of prominent Greek women, so that would mean not a whole bunch, but enough to mention. And then many Greek men. So not a whole bunch, but enough to mention. So we have almost the opposite groups responding. In Thessalonica, the Jews didn't respond very much, but the Greeks did, especially the women. In this case, the Jews responded enthusiastically, and some of the Greek men did, and some of the Greek women did. So we have it almost backwards. Number four, however, the Jews from Thessalonica were not satisfied to run Paul out of just their town. They continued their attack in Berea. And we see this happening today. Again, it left right off the page. It wasn't enough for them to run Paul and Silas with this new message about Jesus that really wasn't all that new. But this new message to them, it wasn't enough for them just to get rid of him in their town. Which seems like, if I'm so against this, just keeping them out of my town would be enough. But no, I hear that they're in Berea, so we're going to go to Berea. They went to Berea, we're going to go to Berea. And we're going to cause trouble there. Sounds like today. We're, we're not happy minding our own business. We're not happy minding our own store. 
We're going to have to, when we win a little fight here, we're going to go try to win a fight in someone else's neighborhood. And we're going to spread it around. So this is, this is still happening. Now, how did Paul and Silas respond? Well, in these two cases, they left town and went somewhere else. You know what they did when they got there? They formed a militia. And they got an army together and went back. And they beat them into submission. No. They went to the next town. They went to the synagogue. And they preached the gospel to the Jews, to the God-fearers, and anyone else who would listen. And they formed churches. And those churches reached out after they left and continued to reach out. And more people got saved. Sometimes the best response is to keep doing what you're doing that's getting everyone upset. If you're doing it righteously. And, and that's, that's pretty much Berea. We don't have much about Berea. They get this great compliment that, that, they, that they examine the scriptures. And they were of no, more noble character because they did that. So we have that great compliment, but we don't know much about them. We have more verses about them arriving and leaving than them actually being there. But it's not really a new story. It's, it's just kind of what Paul's been doing. Now we come to Athens. Athens has more verses than the other two combined. And I just want to tell you up front, it's because we're introduced to a whole new group of people. Paul's been speaking to the Jews. He's been speaking to the God-fearers. And they've responded and not responded. He's interacted with them in many different ways. We've heard about each one. We just heard about some more. But now in Athens, there's a whole new group of people that he's going to meet. So let's read, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And, and don't get caught up in Epicurean and Stoic. Hear the word philosophers. People that like to talk about thinking. Talk about what if, how about, can you explain, philosophers. They want to talk about philosophy. And, and this city was actually full of people who somehow made a living talking about their thoughts. Like a whole bunch of people. That was like the main industry in this little area. We're going to talk about our thoughts. We're going to debate, discuss, teach, and that's how they made a living. So these philosophers were the first people that he spoke with. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign, foreign gods. So some were more interested than others. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Now the Areopagus was kind of like the professional philosophers. They weren't just on the street corner philosophizing and discussing thought. They actually gathered together and had official meetings where they talked about their thinking. And, and that was what they did. They were professionals. So he brought them to a meeting where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are, excuse me, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. 
All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They like to talk about what they were thinking. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. He says, I know you're religious because there's idols everywhere. And you pray to them, and you bow to them, and you give them gifts, and you depend on them. I know you're really religious, but I found this really interesting idol. And and you guys are so religious that you're afraid you're going to miss one, or maybe you recognize there's more. But this one says, to an unknown God. And you offer gifts and sacrifices and prayers to this one, just in case you left him out. He says... He says, so you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. He says, you don't even know who you're worshiping, but you do anyway. He says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Basically, I'm going to tell you who the God is that you don't know yet. I'm going to tell you who this God is. And he's pretty much going to tell him, you know, and the statue doesn't matter. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Basically, he's saying, hey, let me tell you who this, who this unknown God is. He's the creator God. And their response would be, wow, we don't know a creator God. He says, he doesn't need you to serve him. He doesn't need you to build him a temple. He doesn't need an idol. He is actually the one that gives you life and breath, and everything else. And they're going, wow, we don't know a God who is the creator of everything and gives us life and breath and everything else, so their interest would be piqued. Verse 26, he says, From one man he made all the nations, that, he, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries in their lands. Basically said, he's a sovereign God. 27, he did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Because he's not far from any one of us. He said, you know, you know why he created you? And you know why he's sovereign? And why all these things? Why he gives you breath? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to reach out to him. For in him we live and move and have our being. We can't live without him. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore... Since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, like that idol, that's nothing. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. And and that word overlooked doesn't mean he didn't care about it or it wasn't a big deal. It's more like, in the past, he didn't didn't bring me to tell you this. Okay, This has not been revealed to you in the past. But now... He commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, I, I'm bringing it now. This, this wasn't brought before, but I'm bringing it now to you, who this God is. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He says, the guy I'm talking about, Jesus, he's going to judge. And that's why I'm here to tell you about Jesus, because you need to be judged as righteous, if at all possible. 
he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Okay, and this was scandalous, shocking. They had never seen anyone raised from the dead. They never heard of it. So Paul's going to talk about it. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So some went, oh, come on, that's crazy. This is baloney sauce. I'm out of here. Some said, tell us more. Please, tell us more. At that, Paul left the council, so he left that audience. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So some people continued the conversation outside of the council and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, so even one of their own members, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Maybe not a huge number, but a significant number, even some that were at least well-known enough that he could name by name, responded. So this is a new group of people. These weren't Jews in the synagogue. These weren't God-fearers in the synagogue. These were people running around debating their own thoughts, discussing their own thoughts, wanting to understand someone else's thoughts so they could compare their thoughts with their thoughts. They were professional thinkers and professional talkers and professional debaters, and that's all they did. So let's look at the notes. Number one, the people in Athens were the elites. They were the elites. Philosophers, educators, professional students, debaters. We might, we might call them perhaps college professors, degree holders, influencers. Um, you know, we think about it, we can kind of identify this group of people today. They're the experts that get interviewed on the news. They're the ones who speak and everyone goes, oh, you must be right because you have a degree. These kinds of things. That's who they were. They were think tank people, that kind of stuff. Number two, Paul reasoned with the religious in the synagogue, reasoned with them from Scripture, telling them who Jesus was, that he needed to die, that he rose from the dead. Okay, he, he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue and the marketplace. That's from verse 17. He debated with the philosophers, which may sound unusual because we often say things like, you're not going to argue anyone into the kingdom. You're not going to win a debate and someone go, oh, well, you beat me, so I must now believe. We say that, but sometimes the philosopher that engages life in debate can be debated into the kingdom. Not as a win-lose debate, but as a let me show you, let me convince you by a back-and-forth dialogue. So he debated. He, he debated with the debaters. Then he participated in meetings and gave speeches at the Areopagus. He was invited in to the gathering. And he was asked a question. And he unashamedly gave an answer. So he participated in the meeting and he gave the speech. And of all those people, he led those who showed interest to the Lord. So he shared with everybody the gospel. He proclaimed Jesus to everybody. He talked to them the way they liked to discuss things. Met them where they were at. Told everyone about Jesus. And then those who were interested, he followed up with. And he shared the gospel and led them to the Lord. And many believed. So we have this new group of people, and really we have a new approach. Paul's in a new city with a new group of people, has this culture that he hasn't really encountered before, and he's speaking to them. So three different 
cities, three different approaches, uh, three different responses, four groups of people shared with everybody, led those who were interested to Christ. There's a pattern. Let's add a, another location. Let's add Kath Lamet or Longview or Kelso or wherever we happen to be living, Skamakaway. It's all the same. Let's talk about our local area. We will find some people who are blinded by religion. Maybe we have a neighbor that belongs to the Mormon church, the Jehovah Witnesses. Maybe we have someone who's in a false system, prosperity gospel, or uh, a system where you earn your way to heaven. They call themselves Christians, but they're not. We will find some people who are blinded by religion to the truth of the gospel, others who are violently opposed to the gospel because it's in competition with them, BLM, CRT, a lot of the abortion proponents, uh, the people that are calling their less than desirable friends to meet together and have a rally with the full intent of starting a riot so they can cause trouble and get intention and then blame somebody. They're, they're willing to take up arms if necessary. They're willing to tell lies. They're violently opposed to the gospel. We're going to meet those people. Still others who are eager to hear the truth and immediately believe, immediately believe. Some people will walk in the door of our home, walk in the door of our church, and they are so prepared by the Holy Spirit to hear the gospel that you can barely get it out of your mouth. And they're going, I want that. I want it, and I want it now. Would you stop talking, lead me to Christ, then you can tell me the rest. We're going to meet people like that. We're going to meet some who love to debate and are always open for a discussion. They're honest discussers. Uh, they, they want to, and they enjoy the process as well as those who are open to listening to the truth, as long as you have answers to their questions and bring them closure. They said, as long as we're moving in a direction and questions are being answered, I'm willing to pursue this. Tell me more about Jesus. Oh, how, how do you explain this? How do you reconcile this? How, how does this take place? Uh, the Bible says this. I don't understand that. And, and you ask the questions. They ask the questions. You answer the questions. A huge variety of people that we will encounter right here in Kath Lamet, in our surrounding neck of the woods. We're going to encounter almost anywhere we go. We're going to find these people everywhere. How do, we, how do we interact with them? Well, what did Paul do? He met each one where they were at. He debated the debaters. He met with the, the professional thinkers. He reasoned with the religious people. He met each one where they're at, shared the gospel, and God saved some. Never forget, it's our job to share, it's God's job to save. It's the Holy Spirit's job to prepare the heart. It's our job to follow God's lead so that we can help accomplish His work. B, we must not decline to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. Sometimes God sets up a situation and you're sitting there and you're just going, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, but I don't have time for this. I'm a busy person, i got things to do, there's a lot of people around. I'll get another chance later. And you let it go. And then you regret it. And you think, man, I blew it. God was totally talking to me and I didn't listen. That's when we need to learn to listen. If you're busy and God brings someone to you, guess what? You're no longer. You're no longer busy. You no longer have your own agenda. Now you're working on God's agenda. And you stop and you share. And that person has been prepared to hear. You might be one of ten 
in their discussions about the gospel, you may be ten of ten. You may be one of one or three of seven. You may be one step in the process, but every conversation that God directs you to is meeting a purpose and bringing them to a place of salvation. So we can't decline to share the gospel or answer questions or have a discussion with people who are wanting to listen. We can't write them off. We can't say, oh, well, I know, I know what you are like. I know your, your uh, nationality. I, I know your type of group you belong to. I, and so I, I don't have anything to share. No, there's always something to share. Why? See? Because some will respond and become believers. The great evangelist Paul only had some Jewish people respond, some of the Greeks respond, some of the prominent women respond, and some of these philosophers. He didn't win any group completely, but some responded. And then that some often became a church later on. Some will respond, become believers, and some of them will reach out again and again and again and so forth and so on. And the discussion we had may bring an entire family to Christ one day, even beyond that. So D, our challenge, our challenge is to grow and learn and mature so that all this is possible. It is literally your job as a believer to gain understanding of God on a daily and weekly basis. It is your job so that you can have an intelligent discussion with the next person you interact with. So some of us are going to the Creation Museum and the Ark in a month or so. And when we get there, it's our job to learn from our experience. Not just go, wow, that's big. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Ooh, look at that. I need a photo. That's, that's not what we're going for. We can watch a video and, and see that. We're there to learn, to experience, to walk in a life-size ark. Then to be able to share our experience and share the things we've learned with others who have questions. Okay, we come to Sunday school to gain information, to learn, to, to figure out who God is, to, to take closer looks at Scripture. We come to Bible studies. We serve kids so they can do that. Our job is to grow and learn and mature. The more mature I am, the more people I can talk to. The more I've learned, the more people I can talk to. The better answers I can give. The better I will be at showing them in Scripture the answer to their questions. The better parent I'll be. The better neighbor I'll be. The better leader I'll be. Our challenge and our job is to never be happy with where I'm at now. Never be happy. There's always more. There's always more growth. I get excited when I'm studying for the sermon and I find something I didn't see before. Or I learn something that someone teaches me that I get to pass on to you. We should all have that excitement. So, it doesn't matter who a person is or what group they belong to. If God opens the door, we're to share the gospel and leave it in God's hands. And to make that possible, we need to be growing and learning and maturing. And I think, and, and that's Acts chapter 17. That's what I have for you today from Acts chapter 17. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to grow 
and to learn and mature so that we are more available to do your work each and every day. And we are more confident in our ability to do your work each and every day. And more opportunities can come our way because of both those things each and every day. Father, when you open a door, help us to walk through it. When you close a door, help us to wait patiently. But when you open it, help us to walk through so we can experience what you have for us, what you've planned for us. We can have a part in someone else's salvation and that salvation process and their growth after salvation. Lead us well and, and help us to follow. Father, I pray that, that we'll take information from today's passage in the sermon and we'll ponder it through the day and through the week and we'll make it a part of our life. Help us, as I've said already, to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.